Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. began in 1963 with Uncanny X-Men number one when Xavier added Marvel Girl, better known as Jean Grey, to his team of Cyclops, Beast, Angel, and Iceman, Scott Summers, Hank McCoy, Warren Worthington III, and Bobby Drake respectively. A decade later, the X-Men went missing and Xavier had to call in Banshee, Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Sunfire, Thunderbird, and Nightcrawler to help Cyclops save Marvel Girl, Beast, Iceman, Angel, Havoc, and Polaris from the deadly mutant island of Krakoa. It would take some number of years for the X-Men to completely kick things into a new gear, once again under the pen of Chris Claremont. His final issues for almost a decade in Jim Lee's and Chris Claremont's X-Men number one from 1992. This book would go on to be the greatest selling comic of all time, selling upwards of 5 million copies shortly on the heels of X-Force number one, which sold 3 million copies just a year earlier. The X-Men would find themselves rudderless, desperate to find a new direction in the wake of the loss of their great leader, and of course I don't mean Professor Xavier, I do mean Chris Claremont, who departed the company under unfortunate circumstances as the agenda for comics switched from focus on the writer to focus on the artist. Age of Apocalypse ushered in a new era of the X-Men, though it felt unusually similar to the old era, and by the end, absolutely nothing had been accomplished. It wouldn't be until Grant Morrison's new X-Men, which took over the title X-Men, launched by Claremont and Jim Lee, and took the X-Men in a wildly new direction. The shock waves from New X-Men reverberated through all of the titles in the X franchise, whether it was Cable's redesign as Soldier X or X-Force giving birth to Ecstatics. We saw a dynamic shift in the narrative focus of the X-Men. Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, while one of the greatest selling X-Books of all time and well-loved, moved the X-Men franchise back several steps toward the 90s. From there, we saw numerous attempts to reclaim the X-Men's throne, whether it was Ed Brubaker's The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire launched alongside Mike Carey's X-Men Legacy, or it was Brian Michael Bendis's cut short and ill-fated X-Men run. It has taken quite a number of years for the X-Men to figure out their place in the new world. And under the pen of mega superstar Jonathan Hickman, the X-Men have finally returned to prominence in House of X. Now, it took a whole lot to get here, and evidently, where here is, is plants? What? To talk about the largest X-Men relaunch since Grant Morrison decided to kill off 16 million mutants would be the one, the only, my very own Cardinal, Jonah. Hello everyone. Unfortunately, I am not a priest. Well, you know, I'm not sure the Cardinal is either. I'm not sure what the fuck the Cardinal is right now. But I am sure of what one person here is. I do believe that we have ourselves quite the X-Men expert, the guy who coined the phrase House of X. We have with us... Warpath Dylan. Hi, everybody. And yeah, I totally feel like Marvel stole my name of my Facebook group that I made three years ago. But I'll just wait for the check. Yeah, I mean, 
hopefully this brings in some cash. And I don't know that I could possibly talk about things that are really confusing and overwhelming without having somebody to confuse and overwhelm myself. And who better to confuse and overwhelm than my Thor bro, my, my champion in crime, Kyle. Surprise, I'm back again. Yeah, we can't seem to get rid of you, which is a really good thing, because I wouldn't want to. <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm back again. I need to ask, I need to break this down for a moment. We have a number of relaunches that the X-Men keep pointing us to. They keep saying, take a look at this relaunch. This is what this is supposed to mirror or be the next coming of. And it's really overwhelming. Jonah, I believe you've only read Giant Size Number 1 and New X-Men 114. That is correct. I am not familiar with the other stories, their significance or insignificance on their impact of the Marvel titles, what that meant for the X-Team as a franchise, or what the direction they wanted to go in. So... I am probably the most confused out of everybody here. But given that, it almost feels like everybody's starting at the exact same point because nobody really knows what's going on in this book. I'm gonna wholeheartedly agree that absolutely no one knows what's going on in this book, least of all the people in it. Kyle, I gotta know, which of the big relaunches have you read? I believe you've read the first ever issue of X-Men. Yep. I believe you've read Giant Size number one. Correct. The Jim Lee stuff. Um, X-Men number one through three? Yeah, I think. That's where it gets That's where it gets a little hazy. That's when we started doing this project and I kind of ended my individual reading. Well, you're welcome because what you were coming up on sucks. <laughs> so have you read Grant Morrison's new X-Men? Not yet, but it's sitting in my apartment now. So I'm going to request that everyone who has read it keep the issue 146 reveal a good secret. It is one of my favorite secrets in all of X-Men. But... Now, I have to ask a guy for whom I don't think there are any secrets in the X-Men. Dylan, Uncanny 1, Giant Size 1, X-Men 1, AOA, and New X-Men. I believe you've read them all. I have. What were your expectations? Not necessarily what happened when you opened this, but knowing that you've read all of that, that you have this 60 years of Marvel down, what was your expectation with House of X and Powers of X? I'm going to go with what was my reaction first. Just like you said, everything's a little confusing, even for someone who is current and up to date on the comics. I guess I'll answer the expectation one too. Um, I was just expecting something really big and amazing, and it, it's confusing and amazing because there's so many questions and you have no idea what's happening but just the anticipation of it being something big is there if that makes sense it really does i take notes on every episode we cover and normally my notes vary from page by page to whole issues in a single paragraph but i felt like i had to take my time with house and powers and i needed to take a step back and i needed to take a look at them segment by segment in a lot of ways, this read very incremental. Does that make sense to anybody? Yes, there's like tiny stories here and there, and you just know that you're going to have to like add it all up at the end. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about why I have the people I have here with me. This was, of course, not just me reaching into the back issue bin and pulling out whatever co-hosts I could find. I wanted to call together my very own House of X to have a clear way to look at the changing face of the Marvel X-Men flagship titles. Jonah, one of the things that most excited me is there was an enormous amount of focus on how this is going to connect to Krakoa, Krakoa, Krakoa. And where we're at in canon, I feel like we've seen Krakoa the once in Giant Size X-Men number one. So now all of a sudden, here we are back in the X-Men's 
domain, and we're back on Krakoa. Where's your brain at with that? I find it pretty interesting that when Krakoa was first introduced, I can almost safely say he was a larger-than-life villain and mutant that the X-Team nor the Marvelverse has really seen yet, where it was this giant threat to the world as a whole being a mutant. That being said, they dealt with it relatively easily and were able to throw him into the sun for the first of many, many, many a time. But it's pretty interesting that they're using Krakoa as a basis for this, and it kind of makes sense because when Krakoa was first introduced, we saw him or it as this mutant that was connected by a life force and fed off the energy of other mutants. Now, Krakoa didn't really seem this vast or big as we see it in House and Powers of X, but it was still pretty interesting that they used that villain, Krakoa, as their starting point of what the gears in motion for this plan is. Yeah, it is really baffling to me that Krakoa is the main cog in the clockwork that is propelling the X-Men forward through time. Kyle, we keep saying that you're done with X-Men and that you're going to start another title, but I just keep needing you. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I definitely want to ask you about is you're caught up on Uncanny. And uh, how do you feel about this being the thing that comes after Uncanny 22? I'm completely lost. I mean, it was like everything seemed super dire, and then all of a sudden we have this, where everything kind of seems promising. Hope is a humongous theme spread throughout this run, and I think that's really important. Of course, the other era that was supposed to signal in a great new Age of Hope was Age of X-Man. Now, I know I've mentioned Age of Apocalypse, which was an alternate universe in which Apocalypse had become the dominant force in reality. There was also a short-lived era known as the Age of X in Mike Carey's X-Men Legacy, which focused on what would happen if Legion was a little bit more involved in shaping reality. Age of X, while only eight issues, is tremendous, and I highly recommend it. That led us to Age of X-Man in this most recent run of Uncanny, after the 10th issue, separating into kind of like the Age of X-Man alternate reality and then a handful of X-Men still running around our world. Kyle, you'd stayed pretty current with parts of Age of X-Man, and that was supposed to be another run about hope. How did these two things compare for you? So, I think Age of X-Man gave a false sense of hope, that there was a place where the uh, mutants could be happy. Whereas this, it feels more authentic, but there's also something not quite right. And I love that you said authentic, and that's a really great question, because one of the things that made Age of X-Man so complicated was, I believe, like, 11 people wrote it. Yeah, it was a lot of people. It's really different. You're taking a look at a crossover helmed by... 11 people versus an event helmed by one. Dylan, how much of Age of X-Man had you stayed current on? I stayed current on most of it for the most part, but I think exactly what you said, 11 different writers shaping a world. It just seemed to be a little convoluted, and sometimes it didn't seem like a lot of those writers were writing the same world, I guess, if that makes sense. It really does. One of the things that I find myself pointing out to a lot of people when they say, I want to see this in film or I want to see that in the TV shows... A number of these things work because they play against things you already know and things you expect. One of the reasons that Age of Apocalypse, while for my money a little anticlimactic, worked so well at the point it worked was because the X-Men had become something so stale and so stagnant that you were able to dial right back in in a confrontational way. 
Age of X-Men came on the heels of a reboot, 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 and it felt in so many ways like half of those writers were each writing something a little bit different. I found myself lost in a sea of ephemeral characterization that didn't really tie back to anything or anyone that I cared about. And I also found that Age of X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, even my precious new X-Men, so many of these books started with major events that we then watched build over time. We saw Legion Quest with Age of X-Men. We saw Legion Quest with Age of Apocalypse. We saw Uncanny Disassembled, those 10 issues of Uncanny that put Gene back in the forefront, leading the X-Men the way it should be. And we've had this sort of up and down, back and forth. I personally love Wolverine and the X-Men. I thought that was one of the best reboots ever. And Marvel seems to be turning their attention to a very specific number. I would say that of all of the reboots of X-Men, the only two that are truly required to understand House and Powers would be Giant Size X-Men number one and New X-Men 114. I think those really are the binding, tying elements that drive this narrative. House of X is the fulfillment of the promise of the X franchise to finally get its shit together and have a singular, clear relaunch. Every X title was canceled for this, and I mean every X title. Of course, nothing can stop Wolverine and Deadpool from running around 200 books. There's just nothing you can do about that pesky Weapon X program. But this is really a new beginning for the X-Men. Jonathan Hickman is responsible for evidently not only writing House and Powers of X, but he has his hand in every title that will be coming up in the future. Pepe Larraz, who has seen work all over the X titles, is responsible for House of X, while R.B. Silva is the penciler on Powers of X. Now, before we can talk any more about these books, I want to go out of my way to state their titles for a moment. While both are written and stylized as House of X and Powers of X, they are properly pronounced House of X and Powers of Ten. This is not the first time a book has used X as Ten in a creative way. Can you think of another X-Men title that did such a thing, Jonah? Weapon Ten. Uh, that is correct. Wolverine was later revealed to be Weapon 10, not Weapon X. It is a Roman numeral, not an alphabet character. So when they said Powers of 10, my first thought was, oh, this is going to have something to do with the Weapon Plus program. It's going to be more new X-Men. No, no. Everything I thought about this book going into this book turned out to be completely not true. So <laughs> I also want to take a second and talk about the cover of House of X. The standard cover shows Scott, Jean, Xavier, Magneto, and Wolverine. One of the things that most connects to the idea of the X-Men's most famous eras is five people. You have the original team, which is Scott, Gene, Hank, Bobby, and Warren. You have the new X-Men team, which is Gene, Scott, Logan, Emma, and Hank. And once again, we have five people. We have Gene, Emma, Scott, Magneto, and Logan. This is a really different take. Jonah, no spoilers, but were you surprised to see Magneto hanging out on this cover? The last I've seen of Magneto is in Grant Morrison's new X-Men, where he was enacting a pretty villainous plot of trying to take over the world, as per usual. So seeing him here in a completely different costume in all white as opposed to his more uh, ubiquitous red and purple it's pretty shocking to see how Charles devised a plan that Magneto fully believes in and, and is a part of. I also 
love the fact that you brought up that Magneto's in white. While Magneto has definitely worn white before, this is the first time I can think of where Magneto is in white and Xavier is in black. And that is a very interesting contrast of these two opposing forces because there's no opposing forces here between them. They seem to very much be on the same page. Kyle, when you saw these five X-Men having just finished Uncanny 22 and being current, what were your thoughts about this cover? So after reading all of the most recent stuff, including Age of X-Men, I'm honestly not that surprised seeing Magneto with, with everybody else. This actually feels kind of like a continuation of where he was kind of going. I mean, at, at one point, right before Age of X-Men, he had become one of X-Men's horsemen, and throughout Age of X-Men, he was one of the X-Men. So it's it just feels like a continuation. I really like that view on it, because we have Jonah, for whom it is a complete contradiction, and we have you, for whom there's some logic to it. My favorite eras of Magneto are pretty much anytime he's a good guy, because I super duper love him as a broken good guy. Dylan, when you saw this lineup, who I would call the X-Men Prime, Gene, Scott, and Logan, I mean, you just have to add Storm, and you really have the X-Men. What were your thoughts when you saw three of them alongside who I would call, you know, the white and black chess pieces, like the king and queen of the X-verse, Xavier and Magneto? I wasn't too shocked. I don't necessarily like most of these five, but when it comes to the X-Men, three of the most popular characters are Cyclops, Jean, and Wolverine. And especially with the past couple of years of X-Men, with certain characters coming back into prominence, being Cyclops, Jean, and Wolverine, of course, they're there. And like you said, Professor and Magneto being the chess pieces. And coincidentally enough, Magneto used to be the White King in the Hellfire Club. It's very, like I said, even though I don't like necessarily like all these five, they are the main five when it comes to the X-Men. So I'm glad that they chose these five. I hate, hate, hate Xavier and I hate Cyclops. But Jean, Logan, and Eric kind of represent three different takes on power and sort of that fascinating dynamic that the X-Men have where they always have to walk this fine line between good guy and bad guy. And I just love everything that they're doing. Now, before we go any further, I want to ask you guys a question. Early on, one of the only things they had given were two pieces of character art. A red Nightcrawler, who people weren't sure if he was Nightcrawler or a Zezel, and then the aforementioned Rasputin, who at the time we did not know her name, but we knew that she has Kitty's hair, Colossus's armor, Ileana's sword. She had a, a visual dynamic to her where nobody could figure out what we were looking at. I could not guess what the fuck we were looking at. I was like, are they some sort of X-Men super babies? Did like the X-Men breed forever and you just like got super X-Men? I was so fucking confused. Dylan, when you saw Rasputin and the Cardinal, what was your first thought? I was confused like you said i didn't know if like something weird was gonna like happen with the future of like x-men being combined together because it seemed weird that it was colossus and magic so i would hope they wouldn't be breeding together but yeah i just thought it was gonna be a, a, <laughs> okay, a weird a point. <laughs> 
combination of mutants being mixed together of some sorts. You know, because they had recently done the Infinity Warps, I was wondering if maybe this was going to be a take on that. They had recently done an arc of sort of this ongoing, never-ending Infinity Saga that's never going to go anywhere, where a number of characters got combined due to the actions of Gamora. So I thought maybe this would be another take on the Infinity Warps, but not at all. Jonah, when you saw your precious Kurt Wagner red and this lady who's like all of your other favorites running around where did your head go you know it's pretty interesting because when i saw rasputin i didn't actually notice the kitty hair i only noticed the colossus armor and color scheme as well as i know of iliana as magic and her sword though technically she is nowhere near that since she is still a baby and where we last left her off she was told a fairy tale but seeing kurt red and knowing a little bit about his father being red i was really concerned and interested because there were a couple of different characters that looked like her and being the more one that stood out was the red one and I had no idea what that meant what what was this going to entail was Kurt turning evil did he turn red somehow is this a different mutant is this another one of Margali's adoptive sons who knows it, it, it was so confusing and I guess intriguing of where are they going to take this and we will discuss a little bit about red Kurt Cardinal when we talk about powers yeah I just would love to imagine that Margali is running some sort of halfway home for pointy-eared babies. She just takes in North Star and he's like, Vi, I'm one of you now. And they're like, no, I'm sorry. You need to die yourself. We don't have any green pointy-eared babies. And then like a little baby scrawl is like, but me! And, you know, so then I guess um, they make uh, North Star dye himself pink. It's a little on the nose for his character. Because <laughs> he's a fag. I said it. I'm brave. So Kyle, when this art came out, and I started sending it to you nonstop, like my body was on fire. When I sent you these characters, were you just like, that's like a weird fan art mashup? Or did you see the potential for Cardinal and Rasputin, despite how little we knew? I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. I wasn't really reading up on where things were supposed to be going prior to this. I, I kind of wanted to go in fairly oblivious. And it almost made me feel like maybe we were going to see a alternate universe universe or somewhere where we were going to have weird mashups like you said. I completely agree and that alternate universe raised a lot of questions whether it was going to be time travel raised a lot of questions and the first thing Hickman said is no this is not time travel which makes a lot of what we're going to discuss really interesting but it seems like House and Powers of X have given us so much to talk about that we're going to cut it here so I can't wait to jump into the first issue with you guys House of X and our very special Powerhouse X podcast podcast <laughs> powerhouse show <laughs> and until we house power x10 dylan save me by telling people where you can find them <laughs> yes please stop talking wait no where they can find you damn it <laughs> Um, everybody can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That's D-Y-L-A-N. Or you could find me at my Facebook group that is also called House of X. Thanks. Oh, good. <laughs> Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram uh, at Trantis82. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Not calling out of a pod on Krakoa. You can actually find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jonah.Rubino and at Jonah Rubino. I know I mix those up. I'm mixing things up. Nico, where can everybody find you? I am all sorts of mixed up, but you can usually find me here on this network doing shows like HTML Husbands Talking More or Less with my husband and Jonah's boyfriend, the amazing Kevo, where we talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe, the X-Men Fox franchise, as well as starting later this month, 
my favorite movies ever, the Alien franchise. You can find me on Now and Again alongside my childhood best friend Chris Podcast where we talk about pop music. We spent the summer focusing on Carly Rae Jepsen, but things seem to be back to the nows now. You can also find me over at Kid Riot Comics making diverse, inclusive, super cool superhero comics and at Facebook.com slash Action Duo pumping out super cool R&B jams. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at MikoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right. Until we return to Kakoa, I guess um, I don't have anything clever here. Um, Kakoa way!